Podcastle episode 196 for February 14th, 2012. The second voyage of Sinbad the Seaman. Translated by Richard Burton. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson and this week we're bringing you one of the classics. From 1001 Arabian Nights, The Second Voyage of Sinbad. We were planning on running this a few weeks later, kind of using it as a bookend for our big 200th episode, but but yeah, why make you wait for awesome classic stories, right? Before we get started, I wanted to talk to you about two things. Well, I also want to talk to you about fan art, so maybe three. We would love to see your fan art, anything you want to paint, draw, design about Podcastle. So if you have some or want to create some, send it over to us at editor at podcastle.org. Thanks. Okay, so the other things I want to talk to you about regarding the story are the 1001 Arabian Nights and Sinbad himself. For those of you who don't know, the Arabian Nights is an enormous collection of short stories told to us as the fictional narrative goes by Scheherazade. In the story, the king would take a virgin to his bedchambers every evening, and the next day he'd have her beheaded. When it came to Scheherazade's turn, she requested that she be allowed to tell a story to her sister first. The king, of course, listened in, but Scheherazade broke the story off before it was finished, introducing what we like to think of as a cliffhanger. The king was so entranced by this story, he spared her life and allowed her to live another day to finish it. Scheherazade did, and then immediately went into another story the same night, an even better one. But of course, the sun came up too quickly, and she wasn't able to finish it, and the king let her live. Good night, Scheherazade. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning, he'd say. And one of the stories Scheherazade told, or maybe more accurately, seven of them, was Sinbad. Now, contrary to his portrayal in a lot of contemporary films and other media, Sinbad wasn't exactly the daring-do swashbuckler a lot of us have been led to imagine he is. He's instead a quick-witted merchant, a businessman with a sense of adventure, if you will, who isn't afraid to get his hands a little wet while discovering new investments. Yes, he's the ultimate capitalist who happens to be a Muslim. Eat your heart out, Alex P. Keaton. As this is the second voyage out of seven, it's worth pointing out that in the frame story, Scheherazade is telling a story about Sinbad, who is in return telling a story about himself to another businessman who, as luck or fate or Allah or all three would have it, also happens to be named Sinbad. What are the odds, I know. And why don't more of us name our children Sinbad these days? I'm mentioning a lot of that because it's important to keep a couple of things in mind when listening to today's story. One, it's a frame story, like I said, a story within a story, within a story, and two, those nights end a lot faster than you'd think, and this one is a proper cliffhanger. Never fear, though, if you want to hear more or read more of Sinbad's adventures, you don't have to put it off until the next night. You can find them all available online to read for free, or pick them up from Project Gutenberg for your e-readers. But, you know, be wary of cliffhangers and sunlight. Reading this one for us is our favorite adventuring choir director, who also happens to be one of our favorite readers, my good friend Wilson Foley. You can find him online at maple-leaf-singers.com. So, watch out for anything that slithers. Or flies. Or, well, just watch out for anything, okay? But do enjoy the story. The Second Voyage of Sinbad the Seaman 
Translated by Sir Richard Burton, 1850. Know, O my brother, that I was living a most comfortable and enjoyable life, in all solace and delight, until one day my mind became possessed with the thought of travelling about the world of men and seeing their cities and islands, and a longing seized me to traffic and to make money by trade. Upon this resolve I took a great store of cash, and, buying goods and gear fit for travel, bound them up in bales. Then I went down to the river bank, where I found a noble ship and brand new, about to sail, equipped with sails of fine cloth, and well manned and provided. So I took passage in her, with a number of other merchants, and after embarking our goods we weighed anchor the same day. Right fair was our voyage, and we sailed from place to place and from isle to isle, and whenever we anchored we met a crowd of merchants and notables and customers, and we took to buying and selling and bartering. At last destiny brought us to an island, fair and verdant, in trees abundant, with yellow ripe fruits luxuriant, and flowers fragrant, and birds warbling soft descant, and streams crystalline and radiant. But no sign of man showed to the descrier, no, not a blower of the fire. The captain made fast with us to this island, and the merchants and sailors landed and walked about, enjoying the shade of the trees and the song of the birds that chanted the praises of the one, the victorious, and marvelling at the works of the omnipotent king. I landed with the rest, and, sitting down by a spring of sweet water that welled up among the trees, took out some vivers I had with me, and ate of that which Allah Almighty had allotted unto me. And so sweet was the zephyr, and so fragrant were the flowers, that presently I waxed drowsy, and, lying down in that place, was soon drowned in sleep. When I awoke, I found myself alone, for the ship had sailed and left me behind, nor had one of the merchants or sailors bethought himself of me. I searched the island right and left, but found neither man nor gin, whereat I was beyond measure troubled, and my gall was like to burst for stress of chagrin and anguish and concern, because I was left quite alone, without aught of worldly gear or meat or drink, weary and heart-broken. So I gave myself up for lost, and said, Not always doth the crock escape the shock. I was saved the first time by finding one who brought me from the desert island to an inhabited place, but now there is no hope for me. Then I fell to weeping and wailing, and gave myself up to an access of rage, blaming myself for having again ventured upon the perils and hardships of voyage, when as I was at my ease in mine own house, in mine own land, taking my pleasure with good meat and good drink and good clothes, and lacking nothing, neither money nor goods. And I repented me of having left Baghdad, and this the more after all the travails and dangers I had undergone in my first voyage, wherein I had so narrowly escaped destruction, and exclaimed, Verily we are Allah's, and unto him we are returning. I was indeed even as one mad and gin-struck, and presently I rose and walked about the island, right and left and everywhither, unable for trouble to sit or tarry in any one place. Then I climbed a tall tree, and looked in all directions, but saw nothing save sky and sea, and trees and birds, and isles and sands. However, after a while my eager glances fell upon some great white thing, afar off in the interior of the island. So I came down from the tree, and made for that which I had seen. And behold, it was a huge white dome, rising high in air, and a vast compass. I walked all around it, but found no door thereto, nor could I muster strength or nimbleness by reason of its exceeding smoothness and slipperiness. 
So I marked the spot where I stood, and went round about the dome to measure its circumference, which I found fifty good paces. And as I stood, casting about how to gain an entrance, the day being near its fall, and the sun being near the horizon, behold, the sun was suddenly hidden from me, and the air became dull and dark. Methought a cloud had come over the sun, but it was the season of summer. So I marveled at this, and lifting my head looked steadfastly at the sky, when I saw that the cloud was none other than an enormous bird, of gigantic girth, and inordinately wide of wing, which, as it flew through the air, veiled the sun, and hid it from the island. At this sight my wonder redoubled, and I remembered a story I had heard aforetime of pilgrims and travellers, how in a certain island dwelleth a huge bird called the Rock, which feedeth its young on elephants, and I was certified that the dome which caught my sight was none other than a rock's egg. As I looked and wondered at the marvellous works of the Almighty, the bird alighted on the dome and brooded over it, with its wings covering it, and its legs stretched out behind it on the ground, and in this posture it fell asleep, glory be to him who sleepeth not. When I saw this, I arose, and unwinding my turban from my head, doubled it and twisted it into a rope, with which I girt my middle, and bound my waist fast to the legs of the rock, saying in myself, Peradventure this bird may carry me to a land of cities and inhabitants, and that will be better than abiding in this desert island. I passed the night watching and fearing to sleep, lest the bird should fly away with me unawares, and as soon as the dawn broke and the morn shone, the rock rose off its egg, and spreading its wings with a great cry, flew up into the air, dragging me with it, nor ceased it to soar and to tower till I thought it had reached the limit of the firmament, after which it descended earthwards little by little, till it lighted on the top of a high hill. As soon as I found myself on the hard ground, I made haste to unbind myself, quaking for fear of the bird, though it took no heed of me, nor even felt me, and, loosing my turban from its feet, I made off with my best speed." Presently I saw it catch up in its huge claws something from the earth, and rise with it high in the air, and observing it narrowly, I saw it to be a serpent big of bulk and gigantic of girth, wherewith it flew away clean out of sight. I marvelled at this, and faring forwards, found myself on a peak overlooking a valley, exceeding great and wide and deep, and bounded by vast mountains that spired high in air. None could descry their summits for the excess of their height, nor was any able to climb up thereto. When I saw this, I blamed myself for that which I had done, and said, Would heaven I had tarried in the island! It was better than this wild desert, for there I had at least fruits to eat, and water to drink, and here are neither trees, nor fruits, nor streams. But there is no majesty, and there is no might, save in Allah the glorious, the great. Verily, as often as I am quit of one peril, I fall into a worse danger and a more grievous." However, I took courage, and walking along the wadi, found that its soil was of diamond, the stone wherewith they pierce minerals, and precious stones, and porcelain, and the onyx, for that it is a dense stone, and a dure, whereon neither iron nor hardhead hath effect. Neither can we cut off aught therefrom, nor break it, save by means of leadstone. Moreover, the valley swarmed with snakes and vipers, each big as a palm tree, that would have made but one gulp of an elephant and they came out by night, hiding during the day, lest the rocks and eagles pounce on them and tear them to pieces, as was their wont, why I wot not. And I repented of what I had done, and said, By Allah, I have made haste to bring destruction upon myself. 
the day began to wane as I went along, and I looked about for a place where I might pass the night, being in fear of the serpents, and I took no thought of meat and drink in my concern for my life. Presently I caught sight of a cave near hand, with a narrow doorway, so I entered, and seeing a great stone close to the mouth, I rolled it up and stopped the entrance, saying to myself, I am safe here for the night, and as soon as it is day I will go forth and see what destiny will do. Then I looked within the cave and saw to the upper end a great serpent brooding on her eggs, at which my flesh quaked and my hair stood on end, but I raised my eyes to heaven and, committing my case to fate and lot, abode all that night without sleep till daybreak, when I rolled back the stone from the mouth of the cave and went forth, staggering like a drunken man and giddy with watching and fear and hunger. As in this sore case I walked along the valley, behold, there fell down before me a slaughtered beast. But I saw no one, whereat I marveled with great marvel, and presently remembered a story I had heard aforetime of traders and pilgrims and travellers, how the mountains where are the diamonds are full of perils and terrors, nor can any fare through them. But the merchants who traffic in diamonds have a device by which they obtain them. That is to say, they take a sheep, and slaughter and skin it, and cut it in pieces, and cast them down from the mountain tops into the valley sole, where the meat, being fresh and sticky with blood, some of the gems cleave to it. There they leave it till midday, when the eagles and vultures swoop down upon it, and carry it in their claws to the mountain summits, whereupon the merchants come and shout at them and scare them away from the meat. Then they come, and, taking the diamonds which they find sticking to it, go their ways with them, and leave the meat to the birds and beasts." nor can any come at the diamonds but by this device. So, when I saw the slaughtered beast fall, and bethought me of the story, I went up to it, and filled my pockets, and shawl girdle, and turban, and the folds of my clothes with the choicest diamonds, and, as I was thus engaged, down fell before me another great piece of meat. Then, with my unrolled turban, and lying on my back, I set the bit on my breast, so that I was hidden by the meat, which was thus raised above the ground." Hardly had I gripped it when an eagle swooped down upon the flesh, and seizing it with his talons flew up with it high in air, and me clinging thereto, and ceased not its flight till it alighted on the head of one of the mountains, where, dropping the carcass, he fell to rending it. But behold, there arose behind him a great noise of shouting and clattering of wood, whereat the bird took fright and flew away. Then I loosed off myself the meat, with clothes daubed with blood therefrom, and stood up by its side, whereupon up came the merchant who had cried out at the eagle, and seeing me standing there, bespoke me not, but was affrighted at me, and shook with fear. However, he went up to the carcass, and turning it over, found no diamonds sticking to it, whereat he gave a great cry, and exclaimed, Harrow my disappointment! There is no majesty, and there is no might, save in Allah, with whom we seek refuge from Satan the stoned. And he bemoaned himself, and beat hand upon hand, saying, Alas, the pity of it, how cometh this? Then I went up to him, and he said to me, Who art thou, and what causeth thee to come hither? And I said, Fear not, I am a man, and a good man, and a merchant. My story is a wondrous, and my adventures marvellous, and the manner of my coming hither is prodigious. So be of good cheer, thou shalt receive of me what thou shalt rejoice thee, for I have with me great plenty of diamonds, and I will give thee thereof what shall suffice thee. For each is better than aught thou could getst otherwise, so fear nothing. The man rejoiced thereat, and thanked and blessed me. Then we talked together, till the other merchants, hearing me in discourse with their fellow, came up and saluted me, for each of them had thrown down his piece of meat. 
and as I went off with them I told them my whole story, how I had suffered hardships at sea and the fashion of my reaching the valley. But I gave the owner of the meat a number of the stones I had by me, so they all wished me joy of my escape, saying, By Allah a new life hath been decreed to thee, for none ever reached yonder valley and came off thence alive before thee, but praised be Allah for thy safety. We passed the night together in a safe and pleasant place, beyond measure rejoiced at my deliverance from the valley of serpents and my arrival in an inhabited land, and on the morrow we set out and journeyed over the mighty range of mountains, seeing many serpents in the valley, till we came to a fair great island, wherein was a garden of huge camphor trees, under each of which a hundred men might take shelter. When the folk have a mind to get camphor, they bore into the upper part of the bowl with a long iron, whereupon the liquid camphor, which is the sap of the tree, floweth out, and they catch it in vessels, where it concreteth like gum, but after this the tree dieth and becometh firewood. Moreover, there is in this island a kind of wild beast called rhinoceros, that pastureth as do steers and buffaloes with us, but it is a huge brute, bigger of body than the camel, and like it feedeth upon the leaves and twigs of trees. It is a remarkable animal with a great and thick horn, ten cubits long, a middle word its head, wherein, when cleft in twain, is the likeness of a man." Voyagers and pilgrims and travellers declare that this beast, called Carcadan, will carry off a great elephant on its horn, and graze about the island and the sea-coast therewith, and take no heed of it, till the elephant dieth, and its fat, melting in the sun, runneth down into the rhinoceros's eyes, and blindeth him, so that he lieth down on the shore. Then comes the bird, Rock, and carrieth off both the rhinoceros and that which is on its horn to feed its young withal. Moreover, I saw in this island many kinds of oxen and buffaloes, whose like are not found in our country. Here I sold some of the diamonds which I had by me for gold dinars and silver dirhams, and bartered others for the produce of the country, and, loading them upon beasts of burden, fared on with the merchants from valley to valley and town to town, buying and selling and viewing foreign countries and the works and creatures of Allah, till we came to Bassorah city, where we abode a few days, after which I continued my journey to Baghdad. I arrived at home with great store of diamonds and money and goods, and foregathered with my friends and relations, and gave alms and largesse, and bestowed curious gifts, and made presents to all my friends and companions. Then I betook myself to eating well, and drinking well, and wearing fine clothes, and making merry with my fellows, and forgot all my sufferings and the pleasures of return to the solace and delight of life with light heart and broadened breast." And every one who heard of my return came and questioned me of my adventures and of foreign countries, and I related to them all that had befallen me, and the much I had suffered, whereat they wondered, and gave me joy of my safe return. This, then, is the end of the story of my second voyage, and to-morrow, inshallah, I will tell you what befell me in my third voyage. The company marveled at his story, and supped with him, after which he ordered a hundred dinars of gold to be given to the porter, who took the sum with many thanks and blessings, which he stinted not even when he reached home, and went his way, wondering at what he had heard. Next morning, as soon as day came in its sheen and shone, he rose and, praying the dawn prayer, repaired to the house of Sinbad the seaman, even as he had bidden him, and went in and gave him good morrow. The merchant welcomed him, and made him sit with him, till the rest of the company arrived, and when they had well eaten and drunken, and were merry with joy and jollity, their host began by saying, Hearken, O my brothers, to what I am about to tell you, for it is even more wondrous than what you have already heard. But Allah alone kenneth what things his omniscience concealed from man. 
and listen to And welcome. Wait, wait. What? Wilson? Wilson, what happened to you, man? We're in the middle. All right. Cliffhanger. Like I said, off you go to Project Gutenberg, people. Check out the third voyage of Sinbad the CMM. Check them all out. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned about how Scheherazade charmed the king with her stories. I feel I should also mention that in the end, her stories changed the king, causing him to appreciate life more, and he makes Scheherazade his queen. Lucky girl, I know. And they live happily ever after. Just between you and me, though, I'm not quite sure how she managed to live through the fourth voyage of Sinbad, the one where he's wrongfully imprisoned and scheduled to die, but escapes by killing his fellow wrongfully imprisoned prison mates. But hey, maybe that's where things started getting really meta. Also, uh, when Sinbad sees the giant dome on the island, was I the only one thinking, Oh my god, it's the Dharma Initiative. I was, really? Okay, moving on then, feedback. This week, it's for Ferret Steinmetz's A Window Clear as a Mirror, read by Rish Outfield, the story of a man whose wife chooses a magical portal over him. Muse of Chaos said, Oh, I sniffled at the end of this one. I have a particular fondness for supporting roles and the men and women who have the ability to set their own desires and dreams aside to help others. Some might see Malcolm as weak or unmotivated or plain, but... I see him as kind and heroic. Gary also really dug it, saying, While the action of most of the characters were quite farcial or ridiculous, the commune or the people camped out in his backyard, their desperate longing for something better or different struck me as one of the things all of humanity shares. Heck, even the fairy actress shared it, and she wasn't human. Well, thanks to everyone who commented on this story. Always so cool to read your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of this week's story by visiting forum.escapeartist.net and leaving a comment. A special thanks this week to Jared and Jin Boak, who are our featured donors of the week. Jared said he and his wife really enjoy our productions and just wanted to give back some. Thanks so much, you guys. You definitely have. And we'll use the money you gave us to further investments in faraway lands, which translates to paying our authors, of course, and uh, translators, although... For whatever reason, Richard Burton's been totally ignoring our emails. Anyway, I normally now bestow a prize of some kind on our donors of the week, like a passage on a sea vessel. However, if you do get on it and find Sinbad there, I highly recommend you get off the ship pronto. Dude's a magnet for shipwrecks. Thanks so much for letting all of us here at PodCastle share another story with you. We'll be back next time with a different kind of oceanic tale, courtesy of the one and only Catherine and Valente. Until then, Podcastle would like to remind you, we have to go back, Kate! And we will, in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Herman Melville said, I love to sail forbidden seas 
and land on barbarous coasts. <laughs>